This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. Kia ora tato. You're listening to the Sugarloafing Arts Coast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. Komikai alanai men toko ingoa. My name is Michaela Nyman and I'm your host. Welcome. This show focuses on the arts and creativity in Taranaki and beyond. We aim to cover the diversity of arts from painting, literature, songwriting, theatre, pottery, poetry, sculpture and how the creative arts contribute to our community, as well as our own sense of purpose and well-being. The Sugarloafing Artscast is generously supported by the Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Centre. Stay tuned to find out more. So with me in the studio today, I have Dave Tex-Smith, artist, illustrator, inventor, storyteller, <laughs> what else? And uh, who also carries um, some extraordinary titles, um, among them telefusionists and the wizard of first degree. And we will talk about all these things. So welcome, Dave. <laughs> Good morning. Well, good afternoon, actually. <laughs> On this very windy day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Valentine's Day as well. Yeah, and you know the winds and the floods and whatnot. Nature is really throwing everything at us. So, Dave, you seem to bring creative people and innovation and projects together from all kinds of corners of our world. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Where did you come from and how have okay. you ended up um, here? I was born in Kaipoi, just out of Christchurch, so that's my hometown. And uh, I was there until um, I was four years old, going on five. Our next door neighbour was Norman Kirk, who became Prime Minister, and so he was oh, wow. my dad, uh, who was on the council. Interesting, because their mandate was to fight for the water quality um, in Canterbury. Um, that was, at that time, the best in the country. So that's where I started, and then we moved um, to Upper Hutt. Um, Mr. Kirk moved and became Prime Minister, and my dad moved with him, and he became a used car salesman. So oh. <laughs> not quite the same, but uh, we had a pretty good family life. And uh, although Upper Hutt was probably not the place that I wanted to be, but uh, we did have Bush around, so that was good. So that's, that's kind of where I got started. And uh, quite a creative family as well. So they're all a large six kids, and uh, they're all sort of artists and musicians and uh, whatnot. So sounds very cool. So you were given a lot of space to create, even as a kid. Yeah, I spent a lot of time making things, um, creating games, and um, and doing artistic stuff, drawing stuff. Um, both my parents were kind of arty but as as a hobby they were involved in local sort of theatre stuff where they lived in a small community and, and so they just got involved in stuff but yeah it was all very much focused on fun and uh, I remember my mum saying you know you can't do art at school because you'll never get a job doing art so yeah well it was that yeah that was very much the case but um you did get jobs not just one and um, it seems like you have continued with a creative edge. 
Yeah. Um, so that thing about connecting people, that seems to be my main skill is networking and bringing groups of people together. And I've always been somebody who kind of fights for the underdog and and people that um, have various challenges, just don't kind of fit. Even at school, it was a little group of these, the guys that were playing sports but were doing all sorts of other stuff. Um, so when I left school, I kind of, I left to, um, and I was offered a job in a game design company because of a game that I designed. And um, at the same time, I ended up getting offered a job in a government computer centre. Oh, wow. And um, my parents thought, no, you should do the government computer centre job. Because it was more secure. Yeah, and so I just talked about game design. I didn't think I was going to get a job there and um, because my school qualifications weren't great. And I did, and I rose up through the ranks quite quickly. Um, just hadn't... I think a, f- a fear of failure drove me. Uh-huh. And then after five years, I couldn't go any further, um, so I just left and moved to Hawke's Bay to work for a sculptor and so I sort of dropped from quite a good salary, four times more than any of my friends, to sort of $70 a week or something, making figurines, and but living in a 36-room house in the country um, and having this crazy lifestyle. So oh. that's kind of where that started. Oh, sounds uh, wonderful. So are there any games out there that uh, people would know? No, I, I discovered in my time in Hawke's Bay and also in Canterbury Psychopedic Hospitals and so I've volunteered, I've always kind of created my own jobs where there wasn't a job and I volunteered out at Templeton Hospital when I discovered there was this hospital with 800 people out in the country that was a psychopedic hospital so children with learning disabilities but some of these children had been there for 50 years so they were adults and what they were doing was quite dull um, menial stuff and a lot of people just locked in dormitories so I went and volunteered to help out with putting on a show and so we put on a show with 200 of these people which was filmed and uh, that documentary went to Cannes Film Festival won an award um, but it was crazy and, and so I just created sets and, and, and plays and ballet and oh that stuff. sounds wonderful and I just and then they offered me a job so then I set up Special Olympics and created fear and did lots of crazy stuff. So what was yeah. that uh, documentary called? Um, I'm in the show. I am the show. I'm in the show. I'm in the show. Yeah, and so that was that was a lot of fun, but pure chaos, uh, as you can imagine. So. Well, it um, sounds like you are really good at uh, kind of throwing a lot of balls up in the air and creating this creative chaos in a good way, but you're also good at harnessing it. So when it comes to monetizing and making your own jobs, I think this is something we all creatives uh, struggle with, especially out in the provinces. Yeah. What do, do you have any good advice? Oh, I'm still trying to work that out for myself. Um, you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm doing uh, a lot of portrait work, which when you work out per hour is, is only a couple of dollars an hour, but there's no sort of, there's, no, there's no, nothing going out, there's no real cost um, to it. 
hey, I'm um, writing novels, so we're down yeah. to cents per year or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and I'm I'm doing that work so I don't get pulled into other work because I've got a series of ten books that I'm working on. Mm. I like to spin lots of plates. Um, after the Christchurch earthquake, I, I wrote a, a story called Wobbly Town. Um, and it was about a mayor who, who looked, it was in Dr. Zeus sort of pattern, a mayor that was obsessed by tall, tall buildings because he was very short and he liked to stand on the tallest building until he, they took away the last tree, which wasn't much of a tree because it had no light. And the children moved out to the country and one drop of child H2O was all it took for this magic to grow and they, they noticed nature and how nature was designing in habitats and so they go into a forest and design a biomimic town and then there's an earthquake and the adults don't know what to do because their town is cracked and broken it's all made of concrete and so the children send them a text and the adults come out to the forest remember their childhood and end up living with the children and re-establishing their roles and their functions, which leads to a, led to a series of five books. Mm. And then there are another five books that come off the sides of that. Mm -hmm. So there were kind of like something that was just something in the background and I was, I was always trying to improve the mm. artwork as I was getting better at using tools and things. So, but it's uh, wonderful to hear that out of something as traumatizing and devastating as the Christchurch earthquake, there's st still something that is, you know, it's very hopeful. The story you told actually brings a lot of hope. Yeah, and I think because this is, this is um, looking at media and the news and a schismogenesis of society, which is pulling society apart. You know, I, I, um, on the 1st of March, I host World Futures Day as a futurist, and that's a global 24-hour event around the world um, that's, that kicks off here in Aotearoa because we're the first place to see the sun. So I, I get the chance to, to be the first host, and um, this will be the third year for me. But a lot of that conversation, a lot of stuff that I've done over the years has been working with adults and government and policy and, and there's a lot of conversations and it's quite painful and ego and it's very slow so I sort of thought well with the stories I want to focus on positive stories positive tropes that build the capacity and build on curiosity and imagination for children but it has to go further it has to you know what I'm really doing is, is is using the work that I'm doing now to to fund the development of a, a new type of social media platform. Mm, well, fantastic. So yeah, and so that is because I've done storytelling and indigenous storytelling historically, especially location-based stuff. And I, I first started talking about that here in Taranaki and mm. Pukiriki mm. in 2006 turning museums inside out. I thought, well, how do we how do we continue the, the, the memory of making a connection with little bits of information? How do we create an icky guy mm. of of our life's journey and how stories within stories and stories hold meaning 
and inquiry, um, how stories can be linked to to wikis of knowledge, mm. and and also linked to activities that we mm. um, participate in. So it becomes a lifelong sort of learning journal. Mm. And so I've built a little team, core team, of international people. Um, so we're all volunteers at the moment until we get our seed funding, maybe we can get to that. Um, that, are, that I really want Taranaki to be the centre of um, mm-hmm. the pilot. Oh, wow. Um, so I've lined up, I've got a teacher that is really one of the top teachers in the world, I think. Mm. Well, let's come um, back to yeah. that. We need to take a short break. But you have um, chosen actually a French song. How mm. come this one? Ne me quitte pas. Me quitte pas. Yeah. Yeah, I chose that because Oda Rosende is a dear friend of mine. Oh, really? And she's, uh, she's got a household name in Brazil as a singer. And uh, this is a song, I just love it. Mm. My mum, my who was looking after him while I said, oh, you have to invite her to come and sing at my house, <laughs> uh, which we never managed to do. But... Uh, yeah, this is this is uh, all the it's con- connection because of it. She's a friend and she's a she's an access radio person from mm-hmm. Wellington as well. Oh, fantastic! Well, let's uh, listen to all that. Ne me quitte pas, il faut oublier tout, peut oublier qui s'enfuit déjà, oublier le temps de malentendu. Il est temps perdu à savoir comment oublier ces heures qui tuaient parfois à côté pourquoi le cœur de bonheur ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. Moi, je t'offrirai des perles de pluie venues des pays où il ne pleut pas. Je creuserai la terre jusqu'après ma mort pour couvrir ton corps d'or et de lumière. Je ferai un domaine où l'amour sera roi, où l'amour sera roi, où tu seras reine. Ne me quitte pas, 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 je t'inventerai des mots insensés que tu comprendras, je te parlerai de ces amants-là qu'on vit deux fois, leurs cœurs s'embrassaient. Je te raconterai l'histoire de ces rois morts de n'avoir pas pu te rencontrer. Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas. On a vu souvent réjaillir les feux de l'ancien volcan. Paraît-il de terre brûlée, donnant plus de vrai qu'un meilleur avril. Et quand vient le soir, moi, ciel flamboie, le roi 
No me quita paz, no me quita paz, no me quita paz, no me quita paz. Je ne veux plus pleurer, je ne veux plus parler, je me cacherai là à te regarder, danser, sourire et à t'écouter, chanter, puis rire. Laisse-moi devenir l'ombre de ton ombre, l'ombre de ta main, l'ombre de ton chien. Ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte pas, ne me quitte Welcome back to Sugarloafing Artscast. You're listening to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. We are grateful to our sponsors, Govette Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Center for sponsoring this show. And today with me in the studio, I have Dave Tech Smith, who is talking about all kinds of creative things. And we were just talking about turning museums inside out and Uh, a wiki of knowledge and how you build on indigenous storytelling and actually, well, you're ba- basically talking about breaking the walls of that confined space that is the museum or gallery. So how do you get um, then into these collaborative spaces? Because collaboration can be so wonderful, but it's also, um, yeah, you are actually joining hands with others and it can take you in any direction. So are you someone who lets go of the control and just sees where it takes you? Or do you select people who are kind of on the same page and then try to push your projects? Yeah. Um, I'm never short of ideas, um, but I'm not an expert in any particular field. So there's always somebody who's who's really good as, a, as an artist or a narrator or whatever, um, or systems designer. But one of the weird things that has happened over a number of years for me is that I've managed to connect with some incredible people around the world. And um, they're all, they, each one of them has a little piece of the puzzle um, that the timing just seems right that they all start to actually converge. So the, the great challenge is creating the economic model that's going to sustain something. And for me, it's always been, how do we really value um, creativity um, and, and social capital value? Um, so one of those people, Kevin, Kevin Jones, created the Social Capital Conference in the States, which is 10,000 people show up for that. And so Kevin knew that social capital value was, was critically important and and now now companies are starting to realise that they, they need to demonstrate what they are actually contributing towards society as well as just to shareholders. Mm, absolutely. So so I've in 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 taking this ambitious task because we know that to have impact we have to be able to scale and scale larger. So there's, there are people from systems design thinking, um, 
that have come through the um, Edmund Hillary Foundation in Wellington, uh, a guy called Arthur Brock that created the next internet. Um, I had the pleasure of talking with um, Vince Cerf, who created the original, and um, he told me the problem with you, Dave, is that you're five years ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's kind of right, because you have to be right for the market. Um, so I've basically pulled together a bunch of people and um, to, enough to, to look for the right type of funding to give them confidence. But it's the right type of funding, that's the next challenge, mm. because we need something philanthropic in uh, nature, uh, or crowd crowdfunding, which is what I'm really looking at now. Um, an interesting thing happened two years ago, and uh, a guy called Robbie Stamp reached out to me. He was sent in my direction. Robbie Stamp and Douglas Adams, the author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, had been business partners oh. and had established the very first social network called the Digital Village, which today is called H2G2. And it is a resource of literature and poetry and you know stories, all sorts of stuff. Robbie was sent my way because he had heard about the talking forest and how I created that first talking forest, communicating with trees. Tell us a little bit, just a short oh, snippet of what short, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did that after creating uh, the first um, QR code type application and I applied it at Mount Bruce, Bukaha Mount Bruce, to enable um, the, the trees to talk or, or the wildlife um, to hear an audio guide. So that was kind of like the start of that in 2006. Um, I always wanted that to go further and, and to the point where we have a memory, where the tree has a memory of talking to you last time you were there. Oh wow. And, and to take the conversation a two-way instead of one way. And so now that's possible. Now I can do that. Um, Robbie heard about this. Um, he said, this is, this is the vision that Douglas Adams had um, about the future. In our conversations over the last two years, where it's pretty much every couple of weeks, I realised how important it is for us to be able to imagine potential futures and how important storytelling is and children's capacity to solve problems, critical thinking, and to think of potential futures that they would like to create. It's very easy with climate change and, and storms like this to end up being the possum in the headlights mm. and freezing. Absolutely. Not anything. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, actually, uh, just six months into the COVID first um, national lockdown, I think there was a, the French military were trying to advertise for fiction writers, especially of, uh, you know, more of the sci-fi and uh, speculative fiction that they could employ for defense to kind of train them into imagining future worlds and what it could mean, you know. So absolutely, we need storytelling. And we need people who are critical thinkers and brave thinkers. But the problem then ends up being a system where maybe that kind of creativity isn't supported and boosted in the early stages. You need to know people who have the money or hold the funds or you're not going to get anywhere. And at the end of the day, people look at you, they look at me and ask me, why did you leave a well-paid job to do creative stuff? And, you know, it's not 
just a choice. It's something I have to do. Um, but I also fully believe that we undervalue the creative side, you know? Yeah. And I think this is where the, the clues are in how to create an economic model because in, in, in creating a platform where there is transparency, that goes back to the author and the creator. And working with children, as I did with my, my daughter's class when she was in primary school, we made a local film. And we used historic buildings. We, um, we wrote a script. They learned how boring acting was uh, <laughs> and editing. But the whole town got involved, and it was a history lesson. But although the story was fictional. Um, so... There's a, an awful lot of value in this creativity that we can cross um, across subjects in school. Uh, like my son here, for instance, went to Spotswood. He was told he had to learn guitar, form a band, record his own music and go and perform. And then that was cross-referenced into different things. That was his passion. Um, and that made school for him so much better than mm. in my experience at school. So recognising that there are ways of recognising and rewarding creativity that adds to community mm. um, and creates a secondary economy instead of, you know, just the, the, the first aspect of mm. um, the economy. For instance, like Pukakura Park, creating a, a treasure hunt through Pukakura Park um, we had that recently. And so there's a lot of data that we collect on who's going to the park and who's stopping at different places. But you imagine if that was the talking forest and you're actually learning um, about the species and, and things and collecting those memories around your ikigai. Um, but the local children are the voices as well. Mm -hmm. So in their research and in their exploration of that, and this is something I did at um, something called Nature Hack in Wellington, mm. demonstrated community science mm. coming together through storytelling, mm. and and so parks become a, a, a school, a, a learning place, mm. rather than just a place to, to wander around and, you know, yep. that, that's important. But, but I also important. think what, what you've really hit on here, though, is the importance of someone seeing that you need to link up the ecosystem. You actually need to connect the local uh, community, the grassroots, with the uh, local creatives, with uh, creatives at the other levels across the country, then overseas, and they kind of cross-fertilize each other. But we seem to work in a space where you have to go to the big cities, right, to get anywhere, depending on which art form or discipline you have chosen. Um, but you also need to experiment with people who maybe have not been so attracted by the arts, but they might be great at engineering or the software development or sound technicians and, you know, in a different field. And that is where sometimes it feels like we're not doing it enough because there isn't money in it. Uh, straight up and so people shy away from it towards this secure job or whatever um, that you talked about to begin with yeah and this is um, this to, to design something for children it has to be safe and it has to be simple and it has to have impact and so this for me is, is a great challenge because designing simplicity and elegance is how I created the first barcode in the first place that Nokia came on board and gave me the first phones and whatnot. 
Saatchi and Saatchi, or I end up with everybody from the whole Saatchi and Saatchi building down in the boardroom watching me scan a little code that played a music track. Um, I don't know how I managed it. Super exciting. uh, (laughs) um, This designing simplicity um, was part of it, and and a core part of my design is uh, around the head, heart, and hands. And so the storytelling, the mythologies, um, the fictional stuff is the heart. Um, when, when, you've, when you read a story about habitat design and biomimicry and then you explore some of the science in habitat design, how insects build houses or whatever, then, then the, the, the head is expanded, your intellect. Um, and when you go off and you do some of the associated activities, um, then your hands are rewarded. Mm. So it's a very simple way of looking at mm. how you develop this, these three areas and how they overlap to give you a rounded sort of learning experience. And connecting all your senses. Yes, mm. yes. And so um, in my small team, I have a wonderful teacher that would look at the curriculum, but this is not another chore for the teachers. It's got to be something designed for children that they are going to use outside of the school hours mm. because it's fun. Um, I've got a young um, Hungarian scientist, geologist, who's working on a story um, Aboriginal story that's 65,000 years old. Um, a social scientist, um, and Robbie Stamp, um, who is a filmmaker. He's just um, created a series um, called What Happened Here with Stephen Fry and Jonah Lumley. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Izzard of Places Around London, storytelling again. But he's also the chair of the AI Standing Committee for oh, British really? Government. And so how... AI comes into this as well, and generative AI. Wow. Um, well, we have to take a break here, and but generative AI, that is a big topic. So your second song here is um, uh, Mr. Bojangles. I remember this from really early days, but in a kind of more bluesy version. This is Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. How come? Yeah, um, so this is one of the songs that haunted me as a child. And it was it was just it was kind of that empathy about the man and his relationship with his dog and stuff. And then a couple of years ago, I I discovered that one of my Facebook friends was the the singer of this in the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Oh. And he's he's pretty much a climate change um, champion at the moment. But uh, there's that it's just that connection with people, and you you realise that they've done something. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to Mr. Bojangles with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I knew a man, Bojangles, and he danced for you In worn-out shoes Silver hair and ragged shirt and baggy pants The old soft shoes He jumped so Stay 
Welcome back to the Sugarloafing Arts Cast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM. I'm your host, Michaela Nyman, and we are grateful to the sponsorship from Gorvet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Center for this show. With me in the studio today, I have Dave Tech Smith, artist, illustrator, storyteller, innovator, and uh, yeah, generally a very creative man who also has a giant extended network and we are, we're just coming on uh, to AI which is a huge thing and right now of course we are having all the discussion about AI and uh, what the new kind of apps and everything could do for our education system or undermine it as it were. Yeah what is your thinking about AI? Will uh, human creativity end up in the shadows? Yeah uh, as a portrait artist and, you know, this is one of my main sources of income. Um, generative AI, um, programs like Midjourney, can generate something in seconds that would take me 40 hours to do. So, up front you would think, oh, this is this is a real threat. The other side to that, um, in, in the storybook writing that I'm doing, um, I'm able to, because I use tools already, um, I use digital paint tools and a digital drawing board and word processor. It's really another tool. And so, where do I start on this? It's quite a big subject. <laughs> to, to, to understand how we develop our craft in, in generating prompts and how we can use words to generate an image to generate more creativity, 
is part of the potential. One of the challenges that we face as a species is that our IQ has dropped by something like 20 points in the last couple of decades. And, and that can be probably attributed to, to industrialization and machines doing a lot of the thinking for us. We don't. My dad used to know how to drive to every street in the country, I'm sure, um, but we don't have to rely on our memory like that anymore. And so we're not really stretching our brains. So there's pros and cons to things like the journey of generative AI. So part of this project as well is, is rather than, it's like we, we can't ban electricity, but um, we can teach how to use it in an appropriate way. And so teaching children how to use um, things like mid-journey um, or chat GBT and how to develop their critical thinking skills and how to extend their their art making can be part of it. Like, a, like I could get a, a group of children and we could say, okay, so let's write a prompt and see what the image is that comes out of that. And then we look at the image and think, what's the story that we can attach to the image? So we have to create a story from what could be a surreal image of a castle on the clouds with something else happening inside. It can be used in that way, but it can also be used to generate, um, like I could use it to generate backdrops and, and and accelerate my publishing ability. But I think, you know, in, in some ways it, it is that balance because we already use a lot of tools in advertising and, and graphic artists and stuff. It's another tool. Um, and it's not perfect. Like when I've used um, Midjourney to create a backdrop or create a character, um, I describe um, a boy, and I might take a photo of my grandson and then make him as a Pixar boy in, in 18th century clothing that I wouldn't have thought of before. Mm, yeah, but yeah. To really fit it into my stories, I have to actually manipulate it and re-illustrate it and place it in there in context and then I have to think about him and all of the different poses and so there's actually a lot of work but it's helped me seed the creative pro process. Mm. Um, my outsider, uh, Robbie Stamp, as I mentioned before, so he sits on the standing committee of um, AI for the British government and chairs that and so he's also on a number of other boards. And so his, his real main thing is, is human agency. Mm. And this is the key to this, is that we have to maintain our agency so we have control mm. over, over this stuff. But we also need to protect the um, our intellectual property. And for writers, I think we have had some really um, discouraging discussions here about copyright of our work. And, um, of course, if we don't sell the rights then, but uh, rather an AI translates all our books and sells them, you know, under some other title somewhere else, um, then we are out of a job very quickly. Um, but as you say, there are also pros, and that's, I guess, where we need to find that happy medium where we are maybe employing AI to... Uh, enable our own creativity in areas where it doesn't work 
but we also need to somehow safeguard that we are still essential in the process. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Even when I um, took out, was awarded the patent for um, visual recognition technology, um, that cost a lot of money and I couldn't afford to keep it going after two years. And, but it also put all of the details out there to the world. Yes. And so it was easy for somebody to come along and make a change to that and um, we got the QR code. So, you know, in, even in, in my artwork or any, any artist, I, I'm inspired by other bits and pieces. Mm. So everything is, is iterative and generative anyway. This is just a different ball game. So And very much faster. Yeah, so much faster, and, and trying to keep up and ahead of it. Um, and again, this is where trans, transparency comes into it, and being able to... Um, like I had a friend that was developing similar sort of technology for music, where um, you could you could track the footprint of um, a series of notes to the original composer. Wow. So the UN was helping back that. Um, and it could be the same for literature. Um, but who's to say, you know, maybe a complete work is, is unique. How much of that can be changed before it breaches copyright? Mm, absolutely. Well, on that note, we're going to take a break again and, um, yeah, pick the mutton birds, nature. Uh, is there any specific reason? Uh, yeah, this... When my mum first started working after the last of my siblings went to school, she um, was a typist in this office and next door was um, a band called Formula who sang this, created this song, which oh. became the most popular song in New Zealand. So it takes me back to my older siblings and this song playing on our radio and, and uh, hearing it through the walls. Oh, wonderful. Let's listen to Nature by the Muttonbirds.
Welcome back to Sugarloafing Artscast. You're listening to Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM and I'm your host, Michaela Nyman. We are grateful to our sponsors, Govet Brewster Art Gallery and Len Lai Center. And with me in the studio today is the wonderful Dave Tech Smith, who is um, into so many creative pursuits uh, that, um, yeah, I can't quite keep track, but it seems that you are right now focusing also on writing children's books, working with people offshore and onshore on all kinds of interesting, bigger scheme things. But you seem happy in both spaces, which I think is really wonderful. You know, on the one hand, you're doing all these innovative stuff like the QR code and other things, the talking forest. Uh, and then you're also really wanting to connect with children and the storytelling platform and, and um, writing and illustrating children's books. You're happy in both. Yeah, I, I like to have that, that balance between being social, connected to other people and inspired, and then having my own time as kind of meditative, which is why I like doing the portrait work. Um, I used to, I spent 10 years acting, and um, I really loved climbing into characters. And, and, and roles and feeling other people's lives. And so the portrait work is kind of like that as well, is that when I'm working on something, and sometimes I won't stop for 14 hours because I just immerse myself into the, into the face and the soul of whoever the subjects are or the subject. And, and for me, it's helping with my illustration work mm-hmm. and vice versa. But it's also celebrating somebody. Yeah. And um, do you do them all as digital paintings or? Yeah. I, I lost um, most of my eyes out of my left eye, uh, which may, which which makes the depth of field really difficult. So mm. I couldn't carry on painting on canvas. 
Um, and so I use a digital drawing board and a couple of screens, and I put the, the photos of the subject on the screens, and I can zoom right into their eyes and get the, the details of the eyes and, and work on my drawing board. So it really enables me to have all of the resources available um, through the applications. And it's the same process of layering colours mm. and, and understanding light and, and, and really sculpting and crafting. Mm. Um, and so... And you don't uh, miss the tactile presence of... No, uh, it feels the digital paintbrush has got two and a half thousand levels of sensitivity so it's like holding a paintbrush mm -hmm. or mm. a pen mm. and uh, and the results like I've just done one using thick paint and um, and you can see all the brush strokes I can change the brush so it has fewer hairs in it or longer or mm. more, more paint and so the, the result is um, quite realistic but it means that I can I did one of David Crosby, for instance, for his close friend, um, Steve Silverman, in the States. And um, it was, you know, like huge for him because he only had a little, couple of little photos and whatnot. Mm. And so Amazing. That's, yeah. It, it means I can access people anywhere in the world. Mm. And how can they find you? So if someone uh, listens to this and thinks, oh, I would like to check out the commission, uh, of uh, someone I know. Uh, where can people find your portraits and uh, contact you? Um, most people come via either Instagram um, or Facebook. As, so I call myself Pop Art because I, I started doing this for my grandchildren and they call me Pop. So it's P-O-P-A-R-T. And uh, on Instagram it's Pop Art 4242 and that's, that's a sort of points to Douglas Adams. Yeah, the meaning of life is 42. Yeah, that's our <laughs> project, it's called 42. Um, and, and, and also on Facebook, it's Dave Tech Smith. Um, I need to redo the website. And um, tell me a bit about your children's books, then the storybooks. So it's a series of books, or a couple of series by now. Are you yeah. working together with the other people? Are you the one who writes them or... Because I see you have some collaborators in that space too. Yeah, so Children of the Starfish is a so far it's a five book series. So that's that's myself illustrating and writing. And um, I have as I re-illustrate from the original illustrations from a decade ago, I have um, teamed up with a Vietnamese multimedia artist called Dad, and who's probably the best of the AI generative arts guys because he's got a strong background in literature and, and so he, he's got this wealth. And so I've, I've kind of worked with him a little bit to create some, some background sets and, and redesign it. So that series is pretty much all myself. Um, then there are five other stories that are independent stories that I've, I've pop, popped into my head. Um, that some of them may be silent animations, but with this whole thing, it's it's all about stories within story. Um, like within Wobbly Town story, you could click on the little um, caterpillar and go into the Grumpy Grub story, which is um, um, part English and part Tereo. It is about uh, a little cowrie moth that is the Grumpy Grub 
who's frustrated because the sun makes him so hot and the wind <laughs> blows the leaves around and so he's just grumpy, he's got no friends. In the end he, he crawls into his little cocoon and he comes out and the sun dries his wings and then the wind lifts him up so the things that he cursed were his enablers. Mm. And so all of these stories have a um, metaphorical mm. aspect to them. And of and course Wobbly Town was Christchurch during the earthquake. earthquake. Mm. And so that, that's about redesign and, 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 and habitat design. So mm. both those stories are linked in together around habitat design from different perspectives. Mm. And this is what Douglas Adams wanted to do, was to see the world from multiple perspectives, not just from a human perspective. Mm. He was which wonderful. Is, yeah, mm. which is why he was attracted to my talking forest in the first place. Yes. So... Oh, well, I think we could continue for another week. But is there anything else um, you feel like you would like to share? Where to next? Um, really, I, I, I want to see Taranaki lead the way in, in storytelling. And I would love to connect the, the schools uh, as part of that pilot, work with children both in... in in putting themselves inside my my stories, as well as generating the stories that come out of those stories, and teaching them how to use the technologies and creativity. And we've got some, you know, wonderful people around here. Um, Wayne Morris was one that was a creativity um, teacher who's, who's been a great advocate. Um, but also extending out. Um, one of the unique things we've got here is that connection between. Um, the museum and the library as well. And the libraries have a challenge with getting people back into libraries and using the resources. And that also folds into to what we're doing with with a kind of a treasure hunt. Um, a story and then finding the resources, doing the research, putting things together. So I think there's a real opportunity for us to contain a very pragmatic opportunity. This year, 9,600 schools are coming together for Climate College and um, I've got a story for that and um, working with the, the people there. So, Do you have any dates for when this is going to happen? No, it's, it's going to be throughout the year. Um, so I'm just kind of like lining up, lining up things. But I just want to make sure that we, we're part of that. Mm. Um, there's a lot of schools in Africa and India. And um, there's, um, I've had strangely... Um, calls from the chief advisor of trade for India oh, really? about economics uh, and, and so we have focused on education as, as one of those areas to develop our trade mm. um, and early education needs to come into that as yep, well. Absolutely. On that note we will wrap up but thank you so much for coming in on a blustery day and um, yeah good luck with whatever you are doing it sounds wonderful. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sugarloafing Artscast on 104.4 FM. My name is Michaela Nyman and you can contact me with feedback and ideas for shows at Access Radio Taranaki or email me on community at accessradiotaranaki.com. You can check out the artists, guests and their fabulous work on our Sugarloafing Facebook page and Instagram. To listen to previous episodes of the show, go to 
accessradiotaranaki.com and search us up under current shows. The Sugarloafing Artscast was made possible with the support of Govet Brewster Art Gallery and the Len Lai Center. Until next week. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand on air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.